0: Bloody Elbow presents the Hey, Not the Face podcast. Your host is Bloody Elbow's chief financial columnist, John Nash.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Hey, Not the Face with your host, John Nash, and your producer, me, Steffi Haynes. And guess what? We have a brand new UFC contract. Actually, John was given access to several brand new UFC contracts and so he is going to basically put them in to a collective situation and we'll be able to disseminate any new changes that John has noticed over the course of this episode John how are you I'm excited
2: oh I don't know about I can't believe you're excited it's the, the exciting world of contract language but yeah we have the UFC has We just finished an episode and now they've they've made we've noticed they've made changes. It seems like just in the last few months they've made changes to their contracts. So we're gonna go through those changes. Unfortunately, because this wasn't posted in a lawsuit, I can't post the whole contract. So we're gonna we're not gonna post the the text itself because you know we don't we don't want to out anybody, but we are gonna discuss what's that it's in multiple contracts, so it seems to be the new standard. So we can say that.
1: All right. And my first question, I guess, is How did we get the contracts? It was this something that uh, you inquired on? Were they volunteered? How did we get so many contracts to compare?
2: Well, I've been, I collect contracts and a lot of people know that I collect contracts. And after, you know, they, after I've I've been talking about sunset club provisions and all this stuff for so long, some people reached out to me to to discuss some of the terms because they were looking at a UFC contract and it didn't seem to match exactly what I described. And so I realized there might be a new contract. So I sent some feelers out. And various managers and fighters, they were kind enough to either show me their contract, describe what's in it, give me excerpts, or even give me the contract. So we have a we have a sum of several contracts we can use and look at and see what's in all of them. Uh, and also, what are the changes from the previous contracts that we had?
1: I guess my first question, if you were to select one section or one huge change the biggest change of them all what would be the number one thing that pops to your brain
2: well the biggest change by far in my opinion is section 25 the choice of law and dispute resolution which is about uh, where the it, we already know before that they 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 use the law for court contract and uh argue this you know for all the legal purposes it's based in Nevada but this is a whole section, this is several pages of new stuff added into the contract, and what the big part that's been added is an arbitration clause has been added, a, a, a whole arbitration process, and also a waiver to class action, so we'll get to both of those, but that's a pretty big change to their UFC contracts.
1: Tell me first. About arbitration, because when you sent over the excerpts so that I could personally view them, I was absolutely flabbergasted with what I was reading about arbitration.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I've heard rumors. There have been rumors for years that they included arbitration in their contracts, but, I, you know, no one could confirm it. And I'd ask around and, and maybe they were testing it or, or suggesting it to occasionally fighters, but it never appeared in a contract until the last few, we've seen the last few, I guess, last few weeks, last few months. But the more recent contracts we've seen has this arbitration. And if you remember the hearing in uh, September of last year over the the Kung Lee versus Zupa antitrust hearing, actually I think it was the Johnson v. Zupa hearing, but they were doing a hearing on the on the status of the the lawsuit. And they had mentioned uh, Eric Kramer, the the plaintiff's attorney, had mentioned that there had been an arbitration included into the plaintiff's uh, or the defendant's contracts now at the time it sounded like he was talking more about the provisions like the sunset clause and the changes that help fighters but maybe he meant he actually meant arbitration and that they knew that this was coming because the arbitration what it is is you cannot directly sue you can't bring the ufc to court anymore according if you sign this if you sign this agreement if you have a problem with the contract you can't go to a court to sue them and claim that the contract's illegal or that you want damages. You have you agree that you're gonna to go to arbitration instead. And there's a lot of benefits to that for the UFC.
1: Arbitration is typically in-house, correct?
2: Well, it's a it's a third party. There's a there's federal, there's some rules. They use the jam system, so technically it's a third party. But yeah, it's not when you do arbitration, the the results stay in house. It's exactly. not public. The information does not go public. I can't look up filings for arbitration and get the contracts like I can with the, like the Mark Hunt case. You know, I've been posting excerpts from the Mark Hunt filings on an arbitration. None of that appears. It's all kept kind of secret. And, you know, and the, the, the public, the public and the other fighters are all kind of kept in the dark. What are the results of arbitration?
1: One thing that I noticed was that if Something happens with the antitrust suit that affects portions of the contract. It specifically states, "Okay, this part of the the contract will be stricken, but the rest stands. How do they do that?
2: Well, it it basically argues is that the it's not just the antitrust. It says anything in the contract that's deemed kind of illegal or unenforceable, that part is, is so if you challenge your contract and say my contract is coercive and illegal because it breaks the law in these these in these categories. We look at these provisions, the UFC's they're making the case that those portions can be taken out of the contract and will and be removed, but the rest of the contract stands. So you can't challenge your contract by saying there is illegal provisions in it. They're still gonna claim that it's still the rest of the contract's enforceable. Uh but the other, I mean the other parts of arbitration is that I mean arbitration works to the UFC's benefit in many ways. I guess, you know, a lot of people might think of arbitration might be good for fighters because, you know, there's a famous case that Major League Baseball when Marvin Miller and baseball went to arbitration to overturn the reserve clause. But that was that was a different standing for arbitration. In this case, there's no precedent set when you go to arbitration. It's not it's not university applied to all the players, all the fighters. So if you go to arbitration, and you win a decision. Right. It's, that's a self-contained decision. Mm. The next fighter can't point to that arbitration and say, yes, the courts, the arbitrating judge ruled that this provision's illegal. I want the same ruling. No, they have to look at it and basically re-rule it all over again.
1: Yes. And, and that's so, the part that really stood out to me because in those cases, nothing goes public. So Hence, my comment sort of stays in-house. It's very, very contained in a box. The box has no windows. Nobody can see in.
2: Very much. But even bigger than the arbitration, this is the part of the arbitration process is because of – is there's a class action waiver attached to it, meaning you cannot – go uh, sue the UFC as part of a class action. You have to take your complaints to arbitration first. You have to go to arbitration. And this is interesting because this was the Supreme Court ruled this legal in 2018. So the the problem, you have to guess that the UFC in 2017 changed their contracts and then came up, decided to include this waiver for anti, you know, for class action and for arbitration after that Supreme Court ruling made it possible for them. So, but if you, if you read it, if you look at it, you'll see that there's, there's a carve out for the Kung Lee case. So in other words, the Kung Lee case, they can't force you to sign a waiver for that case, but not mentioned in that carve out section is the Johnson, the the second antitrust lawsuit that starts in 2017 that that they're trying to do is class action. That's not mentioned. So fighters signing this waiver, this, this waiver from class action, they can't take, they cannot participate in that class action if it's granted class certification. And so that limits the pool of fighters that are available for damages in that case if it goes forward. I, I have to imagine that the the plaintiffs are going to challenge this. You have to, even though the Supreme Court has ruled on it, I don't know if it was ruled in a, uh, if you have a monopoly, they're arguing the UFC is a monopoly. And so they're going to say the, a monopoly is allowed to put in a contract, a provision that says you can't sue us for being a monopoly. That's basically what right, they're saying. right and it seems me it seems impossible to figure out how that could be legal because the power that you're claiming they're abusing they could then be using to prevent you from soon challenging that power and so i i got a feeling that that will be challenged it has to be but for now they have a waiver for the class for class action lawsuit <laughs> and and that prevents any future fighters from signing this from taking part in a class action against the ufc
1: let's move on to Changes to terms in Section 12: the matching okay, well, rights, the negotiating period. Things changed there.
2: Yes, well, if you remember in the old contracts, and Nate Diaz had this contract that there was an exclusive negotiating period was about three months, mm. and then and then there was a matching period for the UFC for 12 months. So you had to for 90 days, you had to negotiate with only the UFC. And after that, the UFC had 12 months to match on the offer. Now, the more recent ones we had a hold of, and we had, you know, multiple contracts, the most recent contracts we had, had an exclusive, had a matching period of 12 months, but there was no exclusive negotiating period. I didn't see that in contracts mm-hmm. for several, from 2017 up to, until last year. I was not seeing that. I did hear some people tell me that that the, the Contender Series fighters had, I think it was a three or four month matching period and one month negotiating period but i didn't didn't get a hold of any specific contracts contracts that had that even the contender ones i had didn't have that but these new ones specifically have that the ones i see now there's a one month exclusive negotiating period which they didn't have before but the matching period has shrunk from 12 months to uh god i can't remember if it's four four or three months four to four months thank you To four months on the on the matching period so you have an exclusive negotiating period which stinks but you have a you've shrunk down the matching period to only 4 months so it's that's probably you got to say is a net benefit to fighters
1: okay now there's also changes to terms in section 4 and i want to highlight this section because we've mentioned it several times already in this podcast the sunset provisions and section 4 contains something about those sunset provisions
2: yeah, if you if you go to the the it's they never call it a sunset provision. We call it because that's basically what it is. But if you go to the last uh, provision, it's the notwithstanding the foregoing, meaning all the provisions in that section are fall under this. The agreement will not be extended uh, pursuant to the section four beyond the date, which is five years after the uh, but yeah, five years. Now the, notice the change in this. It's not the the five years is not after. Uh, the signing of the agreement, which is what we saw before. Remember that, that whole confusion mm-hmm. with Francis Ghana where I got it wrong. But this one is that it's five years after the fighters' first bout under the agreement. <clears throat> and it has me thinking, i got to go through all my old contracts because I probably ran into a similar language at some point, making me think they all were like that. But we're back where it's not the first fight under – it doesn't start at the date that your contract signed, the signature date, right? right. It, it actually starts on your first fight.
1: I have I have an example for you already. Yeah, Bo yes. Nickel. Bo Nickel signed a contract months ago. Months ago.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. He's been signed for quite some time. He doesn't have a fight on the immediate horizon. It could be a year before he has a fight. This guy, his contract could be going for a year.
2: But yeah, it could it could start. We the, the sunset clauses. We're going to call it the five year maximum length could start when he gets his first bout. Let's say he gets injured or they can't find him about a whole year goes by it. Then he gets his first fight. Now, even though he signed a contract, he can't fight for another promotion. The, the, the five year period starts at that first bout. So it could be, it could end up being a six year period under contract. Then mm. uh, on top of that, the previous one covered everything, you know, any sort of extensions, suspensions, whatever were under that five year period, but now they have a, another carve out and it's, the carve-out is this five year period doesn't cover periods where, the, where a fighter is unable or unwilling to compete because he has been suspended by either the athletic commissions or anti-doping agency the usada deal so if the, if usada suspends you or the athletic commission suspends you for two years and you can't fight well the, the previous deal would cover that so that would be part of the five years then when you're done you know your contract will be terminated but now the, the the your fight for two years you get a two year suspension well you still have three years left on that 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 total length before the contract sunsets.
1: Wow that's
2: awesome. Well so yeah so on on that front that's probably that is not a net benefit to fighters as we can I think we can all agree. That is it's it's not the end of the world. Just hopefully you don't get busted for you know for steroids. And so you don't have that but it it, it adds months to because it, it starts in your first fight now when you sign and if there's any sort of suspension, it, it let's say, I mean, a good example is like uh, Nick Diaz for marijuana, that suspension, mm-hmm. the BS suspension. Well, guess what? His contract is now frozen. To, if he had signed this agreement and that happened to him, he, the five-year period would be extended by the length of time that they suspended him, the tell athletic me, commissions.
1: Tell me if this covered any of the parts in declination.
2: Well, the declination in this is declination is when you, when you decline a fight and so previously we had, you know, the agreement was that uh, the UFC, when you turn down a fight, it, they, they can extend the agreement by your contact, your current contract length by either six months. So if I have a, a five fight, 20 month deal, it's now a five fight, 26 month deal. If I turn down a fight and they can extend it for six months or as long as it takes to find a new bout. Now, you know, if you remember on our previous podcast, we talked about contracts. We did say that there's a maximum length that they can extend it, 18 months. In other words, if if you're pulling a Nate Diaz and you keep churning down fights, well, after 18 months, they can no longer keep extending your your contract, right? Mm-hmm. That's the maximum amount of time. They remove that right now. I don't, I'm not seeing that in the contracts at all anymore. There's no maximum amount of time they continue extending those those uh, the contract. So. They can keep going six months every time you turn on a fighter. How long it takes to fighter the, the maximum amount of time they can do it now is the five year sunset, not the 18 months they had before. So, again, that's an I would say that's a net negative for fighters. That's a, a little worse than what we saw before.
1: Now, there's also been a change to retirement as far as sunset provisions, correct?
2: Yeah, there's another that, that's I've noticed something different. Uh, this. This is that where before it was a five-year period, if you retired, the suspension period, as they call it, will not exceed four years. So that's been shrunk to four years from five. The confusing part for me is, and we might find out this with uh, Conor McGregor, is if you retire, right, uh, does that supersede or does that on a parallel track as the sunset provision, the five years? So Conor McGregor, I, we don't know why he got out of USADA, but one of the theories is he technically retired from the UFC for a period of time, right? And so USADA stopped testing him. Maybe he got an exemption and he didn't retire. But one of the theories I've heard is that he retired technically from the UFC, and so he's no longer getting tested. Well, the question is, he signed his contract in 2018, in fall of 2018, his current one. His sunset should be up this fall. But if he retired, is that a separate track? So is he no is he not is his contract not gonna sunset this fall? Because you got to take that retirement period and add that onto it as a separate track.
1: What about with the ultimate fighter? He had to assign something for that, right?
2: Well, yeah, I mean that's part of he could sign on to the agreement. That falls under the notwithstanding the foregoing. The the, the 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 amount of time they can extend your contract under when you on the ultimate fighter, which is like six months. That falls into the under notwithstanding the foregoing on the sunset clause. So you that does not add time beyond the five years. The five years covers you still, even if you're on the ultimate fighter, when the five-year mark hits, it's up. Your contract's done.
1: There was another change, and I couldn't help but notice this one too. Code of conduct wagering.
2: Yes. They were this. Obviously, it was added probably months ago because, remember, there's a lot of talk of that. But I noticed it in the code of contract now that they specifically mentioned athletes are per- prohibited from placing any wagers on UFC matches. Them or third party and people associate them. So basically covering all the stuff that the 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 Kraus situation has brought to light uh, and, and what's turned out kind of something of a big scandal with the promotion. And so now they have it covered explicitly in the uh, UFC code of conduct, yes, you cannot, you, your managers, your handlers, anybody cannot put any bets on UFC matches.
1: Including on yourself.
2: Including on yourself, which is, to me, it feels a little weird because it's a common practice for years in boxing. I Mm -hmm. mean, some states have regulations against it, but for, it was fa- I mean I mean that's how boxing kind of started is the idea you would place a bet on yourself to beat your opponent. I mean if you go back to you know uh Sullivan or even further Mendoza, those guys were placing bets on themselves and their, and their supporters would place bets on them to beat their opponent. And so it seems strange to me that independent contractors I can understand you can't place bets on other people because it it opens up or bets against yourself right. because it opens up the idea that there could be fight fixing, but to place a bet on yourself uh, it seems a little strange for um for independent contractors. I should know too. Something interesting that came to my mind is we see some of these changes, and we have this waiver from class action lawsuit now in, inserted into the um the contract. Is I don't think it's not beyond a possibility that the UFC. Okay, we, we know that the reason they inserted all these changes—the five-year provision, the sunset, the the change to image rights—the uh, uh, they got rid of the the exclusive mat, you know negotiating period for a while, uh, but kept the matching period. All those were done in response to the antitrust lawsuit. You know, basically they admitted in that hearing in fall, but they have a waiver now, so the, they put it in to do delineate to to put a to, to basically. A, a barrier between the two antitrust lawsuits so that damages going forward would be mitigated, right? So, because the, the original lawsuit went from 2010 to 2017, and then they had to file a new lawsuit in 2000 that covered 2017 on. So, before 2017, all those damages are there because the contracts haven't changed, but from 2017 on, they have a new contract, so that should mitigate the damages now. What this waiver does is it keeps those fighters out of the antitrust lawsuit, right? They can't take part of a class action. They can do it themselves, but that's really costly. Who's going to go in, hire the, the experts? Those, I mean, the experts are costing them a fortune. They're probably paying millions on the economic experts. So who's going to do the regression analysis in an antitrust lawsuit on their own and risk losing the case and be out $100,000, whatever, in a lawsuit? So no one's going to do it on their own. So, but the waiver prevents them from joining a class action lawsuit. Well, what's to stop the UFC from, from clawing back some of these changes they made, right? We saw Ngannou just leave the UFC with the sunset provision. We see Paul Costa is going to do it. GSP's sunset came up. Uh, I imagine that John Jones got a better deal because the threat that he was going to sit out and, and be out of his contract next year with that in mind, What's to prevent the FC if they make fighters sign this to say we are also because we have this leverage we are taking out we're we're taking back the the you know the the sunset clause and getting rid of it or or some of the other clauses or putting in longer you know I, I don't think matching period they probably won't do above twelve months but put in the put in the exclusive negotiating period the matching clause put in the 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 the, the bad I guess the the really bad de- de- declination uh, provision they have back in, where there's no 18 month limit to it, put that back in, and it's like, well, it's like those were the in the in the antitrust lawsuit. The allegation is it's those provisions that help give them monopoly power, but that doesn't mean anything because now they have a waiver. You cannot bring that to court, even if it's true.
1: All right. So to go back and circle to what you initially started out with how is this legal for those that might just be joining in and listening right now didn't maybe they didn't get the the beginning of the show how is this legal that they're making all these changes or that they could potentially make changes like this
2: well, because the, I guess one is the Supreme Court rule that you can put in waivers for class action lawsuits. Uh, we have a, uh, people don't pay attention. Our Supreme Court is loaded now with federalist judges that are very pro-labor like the Lochner court in the you know 1920s and 30s, uh, one of the worst courts in American history. And we are, we might very well have another one like that. Uh, the other thing is until this is challenging court, it's, everything's legal, right? But they put up ber- barrier after barrier for challenging it. And so fighters are kind of stuck right now uh, accepting these terms. I, I should note, too, we, we'll talk about other promotions. A lot of the stuff that you see in UFC contracts are in other promoters' contracts and are bad. But one thing you don't see in any of the other promoters' contracts is the wave, the arbitration and the waiver from uh, from class action. I've not seen any uh, fighting MMA promotion to have that inserted in their contracts. That's specifically a
1: UFC thing. It definitely gives you a lot to think about. The amount of changes just from I mean, we just did this what a month and a half ago where we spoke about the contracts to now. I mean, the 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 wagering, the code of conduct being inserted in their men, they didn't waste any time. And I'm wondering if, uh, the, the declination and the sunset provisions, if that was changed in response to Nganu. Well, can you, can you share like when you got the contracts? Was it before or after Nganu? I'm just well, curious. Well,
2: I, I got them after Nganu, but I can't say which ones, you know, were, oh, were written though. up. Yeah. But, but also, I don't know if they could have been written up, you know, the, who knows how long the negotiating period sure. was, but I do think it's possible that, uh, the the changes I have a I have a theory and I can't prove this theory but one of my theories is when Engano became closer to the end of his contract right mm-hmm. that the that as it became obvious that he was going to leave because of the sunset and GSP got out of his because of the sunset and you hear guys like Paulo Costo that and Nate it's, Diaz seems,
1: as well right
2: no Nate Diaz had an older contract he just had to wait the forever like six over six okay, years so to get out his, of it over his to was fight not it out the
1: sunset provision that got him out right.
2: No, Nate had no sunset. In okay, this, none. He, okay. he just had to fight for. He had, it was only a five fight contract. and It took over six years to get through. So that was his problem. Uh, but but everybody else is you know using this new provision, and I I, can, I find I think it's very conceivable that the UFC sees saw that more more fighters were going to take advantage of this and decided that we have to re- make these contracts a little more restrictive than we had before. Then we're we done. And if we but if we do that, you know, we've opened ourselves up to more allegations from the antitrust lawsuit. So let's now that the Supreme Court has ruled these waivers are legal, let's insert this, this waiver uh for class action and put in this arbitration clause. And that way, if we want to if we want to claw back some of the stuff to make it harder to leave so fighters cannot follow the route at England. In many ways, it's you know, is following the path of Randy quatori Remember, he talked about how the contract he found loopholes in the contract. And at the end result was they made it worse for all the other fighters. Mm. And so that we might be in another situation where uh, the select few that took advantage of this is found, found this loophole because the UFC put it in there for the lawsuit, but now that they're finding a way to get around it to make it hard again. So that's, that's a very strong possibility. The other thing is, you know, they have a, a the, they have a law firm on standby for them at all times. Right. And they might just be going over and every time they find something new that they can pick at, to strengthen the contract that we'll find a new provision inserted every, you know, every three or four months, maybe.
1: One more question real quick. You said that the Supreme court made it, made these waivers legal back in 2018. Why did it take the UFC four years to get to the point where they're putting waivers in their own contracts? Was Ah. it just necessity dictated it or?
2: Well, I can only I can only theorize. I can only, you know, I can only guess. I guess, but I mean, one is that they'd already made changes to the contracts in 2017 before the Supreme Court ruled on that that case, right? So they'd already done it, and I I can only guess because of the timing that they decided to only go ahead with these arbitration clauses because the first batch of fighters were taking advantage of those changes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they decided like, you know what, we didn't make, I'm wondering if they didn't expect so many fighters to try to take advantage of that five year uh, clause.
1: Okay. Okay. Anything you want to say in closing before we wrap up this episode? Because I do know you got your hands on some other contracts. Yeah. We're,
2: well, I've, we've been talking about this and we keep kicking the can down the down the road but we will eventually we promise eventually get to pfl and bellator contracts we'll go over those uh and then there's a bunch you know always stuff popping up we can talk about uh, it's an endless of a cavalcade of uh, sleaze and and combat sports to go over so
1: (laughs) were there any changes to the bout agreements or have you had a chance to look at the bout agreements on these newer contracts
2: well, no, the bond agreements seem to be basically the okay. same. So I haven't noticed that. But I'll go back. Maybe I'll check. But the bond agreements generally don't change as much because they don't cover the the intricacies that the promotional agreements do.
1: And boy, are they intricate. I'm just stunned, especially with Section 25's changes. Wow.
2: Well, yeah. And in hindsight, especially with Million uh, Millianenko's retirement, his conversation about how, how much he disliked those contracts back in 2007, it's just a kind of full circle here. We're, we're back to where he was.
1: Draconian contracts are coming back.
2: Oh, yeah. What's old is new again.
1: (laughs) All right. So that's going to wrap up this episode. For those of you out there wondering, we're going to keep running this show. We're going to keep running all the Bloody Elbow shows. If you would like to sponsor this show, please email me, crooklyn949 at gmail.com. John, do you have anything coming up that we should let the folks know about?
2: Well uh probably not no i mean I, I pay i might be on if the shoe fits the other podcasts i do where we don't talk about mma stuff i might i might have some written articles about this we because of the you know the bloody elbows current situation in box media it's up in the air what's going on with the, my deal but maybe i'll i'll put this in on you know as as text mm-hmm. so people can read it but uh, other than that no i'm really lazy so no
1: <laughs> got it. Got it. All right. So until next time, you know the routine. Please stay safe.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. Tune in, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crookland's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, Show Money guest podcasts the hey not the face podcast and radio style play-by-play for every ufc pay-per-view be sure to follow us on twitter at bloody elbow facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com.